0: What is the greatest privilege that we have today as believers? Well, our answers may vary, of course, but our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, has one specific answer that he wants us to think about. What is it? Well, find out today on Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'm so grateful that you're here as we continue our journey through the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians. Now, as you hop aboard the Bible bus and you find your seat, here are a few letters from our fellow passengers. First is a text, actually, that we received from Esther. Thank you so much for bringing Dr. McGee's voice into my little studio apartment. In so doing, you've brought God's word into my heart. Bless you for your faithfulness and love for Him. It is contagious. Please send me a copy of Briefing the Bible. I can't wait to use these notes along with the study. Well, thanks for getting in touch, Esther, and I'm so glad that you're joining us on the Bible Bus. Next, here's a Facebook post from Judith. I just received the bookmark with the reading schedule. I'm going to put it in my Bible to remind me to read ahead. Currently, I'm going through your studies in First and Second Chronicles. I read through both books first and found out so much, but I still need to know more, especially how it relates to First and Second Kings. Thank you all and Dr. McGee for his foresight. So many of us are learning more about God's Word and loving Him more. Well, you know, it's great to hear from you, Judith, and I completely agree. You know, the more that we study God's word, both with Dr. McGee and individually, the more deeply we love Jesus. And then finally, our last note comes from a listener named Antonio. He writes, I began listening to you 15 days ago, and I'm amazed how much of the Bible I'm beginning to understand. It always seemed like such a mystery. I'm currently listening to your programs on the book of Daniel, and I have begun to look internally. This study is making me want to become a better man, one who stands for God and prays to Him for direction in every circumstance. Well, thanks, Antonio. That's a great goal to have, one that we should all strive for. So how's God's Word changing your life? Well, You know we'd love to hear about it, so just send an email to biblebus at ttb.org. You can also post on our Facebook page or write to Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. In Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C. 6b1. To get your free copy of Briefing the Bible that Esther mentioned or to download the bookmark Judith is using, just visit us at ttb.org. You can also go there and get a PDF version of Briefing the Bible that's even more extensive than the print version. And you're also going to find there an entire library of downloadable resources to help you go deeper in your study of God's Word. Again, the address, ttb.org. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your Word that's changing our lives as we listen and receive it. And regardless of where we live in the world or the challenges, Lord, that we face, please use today's teaching to shape us for your glory. Now, as we study, Lord, would you draw us closer into a loving relationship with you? In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Now, we're ready to dive into 2 Corinthians 2 and 3 with Dr. J. Vernon McGee on Through the Bible.
1: Now, our study today brings us back to 2 Corinthians two fourteen. We left off last time where Paul is dealing now in a very wonderful area concerning comfort. We saw in this first chapter here God's comfort for life's plans. And then we saw God's comfort here already in this chapter, God's comfort in restoring a sinning saint. And when this man of God and he was that. or oh, he was engaged in gross immorality, incest, something that even the heathen were not engaged in at that time. And as a result, why the church was shutting their eyes to it and were passing it by. Well, I tell you, Paul read the riot act to him. He told him when he came there, they do something about it. Well, they did something about it, that is, They put this man out. They excommunicated him. And that's what they should have done. But this man then saw his sin. He confessed it. Came under great conviction. Now, you see, what Paul is saying here is, he says, what you do is to receive him now. You see, if the devil can't push us one way, he pushes us the other way. One way is to shut your eyes to immorality. The other is, When a person confesses their sin and turns from it, to be hard-nosed about it and not to accept that. And Paul says, wait a minute, (laughs) this man's confessed his sin. And he says, actually, what will happen, he'll be swallowed up over much sorrow if you don't receive him. He'll be overwhelmed, not only because of his sin, but because you won't receive him. So now put your arm about it. Ye that are brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fall, ye that are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, lest you also be tempted. Because what he did, you could do, you see. So the man now is to be brought back in to fellowship. This is part of the ministry. Isn't it a glorious ministry we have? Now Paul makes it very clear to them here that he was in God's will when he went to Troas and didn't come on to them at all. But he was waiting for Titus to come, and Titus didn't come. He went over to Philippi in Macedonia. Titus came and brought word at that time from the Corinthians that they had dealt with this and that the man had now repented, turned from his sin. That was the way it was to be dealt with. Now we come to what some have called the power of the ministry. You can call it anything you want to, but I say it's part of the greatness of the ministry, and I rejoice today to be able to preach the kind of a gospel and the kind of a word of God that we have to give. Oh, listen to this. This is grand and glorious that we're dealing with here. I begin reading now verse 14 of chapter 2. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Now, the picture here is a dramatic picture, and it's a great picture. He says here that preaching the gospel is like leading a triumphal entry. (laughs) Oh, how great this is. And the picture goes back to Rome. You see, one of the Roman emperors or one of the great generals would go out onto the frontier, probably up in Europe where your ancestors and mine were, that is most of us, or probably way to the Far East or down in Africa, especially North Africa. And they would have victory after victory. Most of the Roman generals and emperors had victories. And they would come back in, and there would be a great triumphal entry into Rome. And it is said that sometimes a triumphal entry would begin probably in the morning and go way into the night. And some of them that began in the afternoon would go all night long. And you would see the Roman emperors as they were bringing in the booty and the things they'd captured, and then the people that were taken. And up in front would be the people that are going to be released. They've been captured, but they're going to be free. Set free because they're going to become Roman citizens. Then there are those in the background that are to be executed. And that's the picture. But there's something else here. And in these triumphal entries, they always burned incense. You see there burning incense to their God that they gave credit for the victory. And you would have all the way through the triumphal entry, incense burning, sometimes almost creating a cloud. You couldn't even see the parade as it went by. Now, what he's saying here is something wonderful. Now, thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. Wonderful, friends. You can't lose when you're in Christ. can't lose. And he maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Oh, the burning of the incense, the sweetness of it. In every place. Paul says, I triumph. Well, wait a minute, Paul. We know you had wonderful success in Ephesus, but you didn't do so well in Athens. Do you feel like you triumphed in both places? Oh, yes, he says, He always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor, the sweet incense of his knowledge by us in every place. Now, how does he cause you to triumph when many or any don't turn to Christ? Are you having a victory then? Oh, Paul says you sure are. Listen to this. For we are under God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved. And in them that perish. You mean to tell me that we're a sweet savor? Well, yes, the triumphal entry had people up in front going to be set free. Those in the back going to be executed. All of it's triumphal entry. Now, wait a minute. How can that be, Paul? Will you listen to him? For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved. And in them that perish. Those that are be judged. It's the triumphal entry you see. To the one, we are the savor of death unto death. And to the other, the savor of life unto life. And then he says, who's sufficient for these things? And he doesn't answer it right here, by the way. But he's overwhelmed by it. The greatest privilege in the world, Christian friend today, is to give out the word of God. There's nothing like it. I'm not going to run for president. I'd just like to make that announcement so none of you put me up as a candidate because I'm not going to run. I wouldn't be president. Must be something wrong with folk who want to be president with all the problems and many of them impossible. May I say to you, but it's glorious today to give out the word of God. You know why? He always causes us to triumph. Here is something that I did when I was pastor in Los Angeles many times. We very seldom went through a Sunday. We didn't see someone Turned to Christ, and sometimes it was a great many, some ones, but actually we saw more on the Thursday night service, Bible study turned to Christ over the years, and we gave no invitation then, but the Spirit of God was working. But now suppose that you preach the gospel and multitudes accept Christ. That's wonderful, isn't it? Now, you can see the triumph there. We are savor of life under those that are saved. But wait a minute. What about that crowd that doesn't see? Well, we are savor of death under that crowd, too. They've heard the gospel. And this is the thing that I often said. I said, now, if you are here today and you've heard the gospel and you've rejected it, you go out from here and not accept Christ as your Savior, I'm probably the worst enemy you'll ever have. I have not been your friend today, because you can't now go into the presence of God and say, you never heard the gospel, you heard it, and you've rejected it. It's your responsibility, and you're in the triumphal procession because of the fact, friends, there are some that are saved, some that are lost. Some are to be set free, others are to be executed, if you please, judged, if you please. And they're all in the triumphal entry. It's wonderful to give out the Word of God today. And I'd say that to you if you listening today and you're not saved. We find many people listen to the broadcast, not saved. And I'm not your friend. I'm sorry. I'm really your enemy because you couldn't ever go in. But you are now in the triumphal entry. You're not to be set free. You're to be executed. You're to be judged. And regardless... You're in the great triumphal entry, Jesus Christ, because he's going to win, friends. May I say to you, Paul says in Ephesians, when he ascended, he led captivity captive. And he also said in Philippians that every knee must bow, every tongue will confess. You've got to bow to him someday. Regardless, he'll either be your savior, be your judge. Oh, this is a glorious passage. And no wonder Paul says, well, who is sufficient for these things? And I agree with him. Who is sufficient for these things? My friend, this is a tremendous passage of Scripture. Now, will you notice? He says here, to the one, we are the savor of death unto death. To the other, the saver of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? And today, the incense is ascending. The word is going out. And we are a, a savor of life. And we are a saver of death. Why? Because he says here, for we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. But as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. And may I say to you, the incense is going up. And we're doing this in sincerity, friends. And we're not corrupting the word of God. We're giving it to you just as we see it. And as a Spirit of God, and the answer to the, who's sufficient for these things, I'm not. Well, my friend, those are sufficient who are not making merchandise of the Word of God, not corrupting it, not distorting it in making merchandise of it, but in sincerity. Why, in the sight of God, we're speaking in Christ. Now, may I say to you, this is the entire plan of the Christian ministry. It's not to corrupt the Word of God. It's not to make merchandise of it, but to give it in sincerity. May I say what a wonderful thing this is. Now, will you notice as we come now to chapter 3, he goes on. And in chapter 3 now, we have here God's comfort in the glorious ministry of Christ. Now, he's going to reach the heights here. Oh, how wonderful this is. Now, let's move on. Chapter 3, verse 1. Do we begin again to command ourselves? Or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Paul says, Do I have to have a recommendation from my employer, from God, that I'm his minister? Paul says, No, I don't have to have that. I don't bring a letter from him. Why? Ye are our epistle, Written in our hearts, known and read of all men, for as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. This is quite wonderful. I appreciate the fact so many people tell us they like for us to read the letter. Some people object to it. They think I'm wasting time. I'm not. Do you know the proof of this program or any program or of any church is not whether you've got a recommendation from God. He's not giving them out, by the way. The proof of anything is the epistles that are written in the fleshly tablets of the heart. And I read these letters. That's the reason I read some letters that we get that tell of people that have turned to Christ. Our homes are changed. Our lives are being blessed. May I say to you, I know this is the word of God. You know why? Because there's so many epistles out yonder listening in. And many of you are my epistle. A wonderful family came up to me down in Houston, Texas several years ago. And I've always thought if nobody else had ever turned to Christ, thank God for them. I can multiply that a thousand times. They came and they told us how they began to listen. It took them three months of listening before they ever made a decision for Christ. And the entire family turned to Christ. Spanish family. High type, Fine looking. That man and that woman, both of them could be in the movies if they wanted to. They are handsome. Handsome children. All turned to Christ. Oh, those are some pistols I got down in Texas i got some epistles practically in every state. I want to say to you, friends, this is the proof. This is it. Paul says, you Corinthians are my epistles. You're my epistles. And they're written in fleshly tablets of the heart. Oh, how wonderful it is to see something like this. Now, I want to move on. I must move on. And now he says, and such trust have we through Christ to Godward. Now, that gives me confidence. May I say to you, I know this is the Word of God. Oh, I believe that in seminary. I think that intellectually it can be determined this is the Word of God. But I don't even need that anymore. I passed that. To me, it's very simple. The proof of the Word of God is what it does today. The proof of the pudding, they say, is in the eating. God put it like this. Taste of the Lord. See if he's good. That's what he says. That's his challenge to you. The Lord Jesus Christ said that. He says, the Son will make you free if you'll come to him. How wonderful this is. Now, let's read on. Not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think anything is of ourselves. Now, friends, if you get the impression that there's something in this poor preacher, you are wrong. Oh, how weak he is. And if you haven't sensed that in this epistle of Second Corinthians the weakness of the Apostle Paul. Oh, but my friend, Paul could say when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. And today, God's not looking for some big something or somebody passed me by a long time ago, and he may be pass you by. God chooses weak things of this world, little things, insignificant things, our sufficiencies of God, friends. Now, will you listen? Oh, this is tremendous who also hath made us also able ministers of the New Testament. And I'd like to change that. We are ministers of the New Covenant. And we have here now a contrast between the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and the New Covenant, and the New Testament. And there is a contrast here in several different ways. Who also hath made us ministers of the New Covenant? Now, he says, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Now, the letter, we're talking, I hope you understand, about the Old Testament. And we're talking specifically about the law. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Now, what happens? Well, the letter kills. You see, actually, the letter condemns us, friends. That is the thing that the law does. The law condemns us. And the law says that you and I are guilty sinners. And these letters that were written on the stone, they condemn man. And that's the contrast that he's making here because the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Now, the Mosaic law never gave life. I've often challenged congregations have them name somebody who was ever even saved by the law. Did you know that Moses, the lawgiver, could not even be saved by the law? You know why? He was a murderer. (laughs) David broke it all, but he's a man after God's own heart. You can't be saved by keeping the law, friends. The law kills you. It condemns you. And Paul's going to talk about it here. He says, but if the ministration of death, That's the Old Covenant. That's the law. Written and engraven in stones. Now we know what he's talking about. But it was glorious. It's the will of God. But it condemns me. It shows me I'm a sinner. So that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. That glory that was on Moses' face began to disappear. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? In other words, if the Old Testament was glorious, what about the new? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more the ministration of righteousness, and that's the righteousness we have in Christ exceeding glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, and apparently the law was done away, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. Now will you notice this, and I'll have to develop this next time. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil. Now, a great many people think that what it means is Moses' face was shining so that it blinded him, and he had to wear a veil. No, that's not the reason Moses wore a veil. The reason is, when Moses came down from the mount, having had direct contact with God, his face was shining. But it began to disappear as he began to mingle among men. And he put the veil on to not let them know that the glory was disappearing. Now that glory disappeared. There came a day when it was no longer on Moses' face and he had to remove the veil. But my friend, there's another face. I want to talk about that face next time. That's the face of Jesus Christ. And if you and I If we just behold him, oh, my friend, in this hour, may I say this to you? I'm talking to many of you that are alone right now, and we can just talk about this. Let me say this in closing. Oh, today, the thing that you and I need is to behold his face, is to draw close to Jesus Christ. That'll change you. Oh, there's so many of us so wrapped up in methods and activity and action. We're just so busy that we haven't looked at him recently. Let's take a little time and look at him. We want to talk about that next time. Until then, may God richly bless you, my beloved.
0: Next time, the Bible Bus continues its five-year journey through God's entire Word. Until then, you can reach us at 1-800-65-BIBLE or ttb.org. I'm Steve Schwetz, and you know I'm going to save you a seat. Jesus. True the Bible exists to take God's whole word to the whole world. And we invite you to stand with us with your faithful prayer and financial support. Where will God's word go today?